Hello, welcome to Kernels. I'm Christopher Hooten. I'm culture editor at The Independent. I'm going to be bringing this new podcast to you about every fortnight for as long as they'll let me. Um, today I'm pretty excited that our first guest is Matthew McConaughey. But um, before we get to that, I just kind of want to explain a little bit about what this is, what it's going to be like, why I'm doing it. Um, so I've been writing about film for about eight years now. Um, and I enjoy the heck out of it, but I get that with long form stuff, it's hard to read online. You know, you've got the screen in front of you. It's, you're scrolling through it, for some reason your attention span tends to just drop off after about five paragraphs. So I thought, what's a, a way we can talk at more at length about film and just podcasts seem like a, a good fit. So my hope is that you'll enjoy these and you'll be able to stick it on on your phone and then put your phone away. Maybe you're on the bus, maybe you're getting on the subway, uh, you're heading to and from work and you'll just be able to kind of, yeah. And I'm keen for everyone to bring up any of their own thoughts and ideas and questions around film. So yeah, hopefully this is a space where we can just discuss film in a little bit more detail at length. So essentially the thinking behind this podcast was that it would be kind of more of a deep dive into like the minute of making a film. Um, I think that's what, that's what fascinates people, you know. We, we want to know what's actually like being there on set, doing all those takes, what's the, what's the mental toll, what's the relationship between everyone involved. And, um, you know, I kind of want to get into with, be it with actors or directors or cinematographers, whoever I'm talking with, how they, how they feel about the process. Does it, does it make them feel good? Do they feel satisfied when they've when they've wrapped the film, they feel satisfied once they've edited it, they feel satisfied if they're just brought in to do a day's acting and then disappeared never to go to the set again, you know, and kind of broach some of those topics. So don't worry, I'm never going to be asking anyone like, oh, what was it like to work with so-and-so? Or, I don't know, trying to crack jokes with them. It's not, it's not going to be that kind of thing, but hopefully it will throw up some interesting, just some insight into how, into how a film is put together. And we've called it Kernels, partly just because I don't know how long, long this thing is going to be week to week. You know, one week we, I may be like talking to, to someone for an hour and a half. Another week it might just be me or me and a colleague just shooting the shit about film. Um, you know, just a, a kernel of a podcast, really. Um, and I like that idea, you know, in, in 2017, things don't have to be have a set length anymore. You know, even the way Netflix is commissioning stuff now is they can have episodes one week, which are five minutes and then 45 the next. So that's the thinking there. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting time to be starting a podcast for a couple of reasons, really. Um, firstly, it's this the award season's coming up, which for me essentially means catching up on all the films that are going to be nominated that I didn't get around to seeing during the year and the screenings I missed. Um, I saw like a trio of features this year that <laughs> were all incredibly brutal. I should have really known that going in. Um, so I kicked off on Monday, I saw Tony Erdman, which is a German comedy. You might have heard about it. Um, the BBC did a poll of 144 critics and asked them what their favourite film of 2016 was. And far and above, La La Land and Moonlight and all the ones you're kind of pretty sick of hearing about by this point was this, this random, random comedy by Marinade. It's, um, it's, it's shot in a very blank, straightforward way. It's not particularly cinematic. Um, and yet it... And despite the way it looks and the fact that it's a comedy, it runs for two hours and forty, but it doesn't it doesn't drag at all. And it's it's an interesting, it's a really unique little film. It's about um like a, an estranged father and daughter. Um she's living in Bucharest and is pursuing a kind of boring corporate job, but she's super invested in it, it's stressing her out. And her dad, who's this kind of of a previous generation, just is a bit of a goof. And he essentially just comes into her life and is just playing pranks on her. 
It's, <laughs> it's a really, really unusual setup, but through despite despite that, it actually becomes quite profound and is about. I took it to mean you know a film shouldn't have like a message as such, but the kind of film themes it explores is just you know finding more time to enjoy the simple pleasures in life and. And I kind of took it to mean, you know, that you should go to great time and money and length to be an idiot and that those are actually, that can be the important stuff in, in life as opposed to the pursuit of wealth. It actually tied in a little bit, I thought, with um, Patterson, Jim Jarmusch's new film with Adam Driver, which is maybe my favourite film of the year, if you get a chance to see it, which is about a bus driver who's a poet on, on the side. And again, it's just about enjoying... He finds joy in things like the design of a match, like a box of matches or a lunchbox or a cool glass of beer after a long day's work. Um, so yeah, they, they, film, they feel kind of related, those films, and are both at odds with kind of with social media and the overload of information that we all have to deal with nowadays. And I think that's why they resonated with me and I think why they will do with a, um, a larger audience. I don't think Tony, Tony Erdman's necessarily going to do much this award season, it should get a nomination for Best Foreign Language Film. I think that the award will probably end up going to L, Paul Verhoeven's film, which is also really good and really deserving. But yeah, it's definitely one of my favourites. Um, and then on Wednesday, I saw Jackie, probably not so much. I had really high expectations going into it. All my colleagues had been to see it the day before, they loved it, like were raving about it, but uh, just it, it did nothing for me, I don't know. I just, uh, I, like, it was kind of painful, you know. By the time the credits rolled, I was just like, oh, okay, it's time to go home now. This didn't really leave any kind of impact on me. There, was no that, there wasn't that moment, you know, where you're sat there in the chair like, fuck, that was a lot to take on, you know. It just, yeah, it just, it just played itself out without really... So it's um, Pablo Lorraine's new film, obviously, about Jackie O, and it's kind of set on the, the days following JFK's assassination, and... It's essentially just her being in grief for a really long period of time. It's shot beautifully, like Natalie Portman is incredible in it. Um, I have no doubt she'll go and go on to collect awards for her performances, and I wouldn't begrudge her that in the, in the slightest. She's, the way she moves and holds herself is incredible. She's really created a, a separate being from herself, and she kind of moves around like a, a Barbie doll, and the way her facial features move is if they've kind of been like held up by fairies, she's got some interesting stuff going on in that part and all credit to her, but outside of that and outside of the quite beautiful cinematography, it just doesn't really, doesn't really do much. Um, it kind of starts to nudge at these topics and these themes about like history and, and how it's recorded and how it remembers the people involved in it. And also how, what it's like to be the spouse of someone who's hugely famous and hugely influential. And they're, they're all completely valid and interesting themes, but it never really actually tackles them. For me, anyway. And then I capped off the, the week with... I just decided to go and see Manchester by the Sea on a whim. There was a showing down the road for me, and it's starting in, like, ten minutes. So in the middle of a, a bright Saturday afternoon, I went in in a quiet cinema and just watched this very, very intense, quite brutal film about, about essentially, about grief. Um, Casey Affleck stars in it. It's Kenneth Lonergan directed it, and... Um, Casey Affleck is phenomenal in it. He plays, I mean, there's a twist in it that I'm not going to uh, spoil, but his, let's just say his character's gone through some shit, some really difficult stuff to deal with. And despite that, he plays the character with, you, can, you get a sense that he's, he's sad and he's taking on a lot. There's a lot of burden on him, but he never overplays it. His character lashes out on occasions, but the, most of the part, you just, 
you kind of feel this depression kind of weighing under him that just is beneath him as he walks around his day. And it's uh, yeah, it was a lot to take on as a film, but it was it was it was really clever. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's always an interesting time for for film this time of year. I mean, yeah, the award ceremonies are a little bit stupid. Do they really mean anything more? Mean anything anymore? Maybe not, but it's still kind of just nice to get. I can't help but get wrapped in up in them each and every year. Then on a, on a personal level, um, I'm excited. I'm excited by film. I'm excited to start this podcast because I just wrapped. Um, my debut feature film, which was a ridiculously involving and interesting and fascinating experience. You know, I, I went on it and, uh, in the first day of shooting, not really knowing what the fuck I was doing, just kind of winging it a little bit. Uh, and then by the end of it, just felt like I'd learned so much by the end of the final shoot. Um, yeah, and as well as just being like a phenomenal experience, um, it's definitely made me better at what I do. Um, I don't know really, now I've done it, I don't really know how you can <laughs> live with yourself in a way writing about film without having ever tried to be tried to be a part of it and tried to do it yourself I feel like a bit I was a bit of a charlatan before but um and now I understand it a lot better and uh, yeah and I think it's made me write about it write about films and review films better and I think hopefully it's made me better at interviewing as well because actually I understand kind of what they're what they're going through and the, what they're dealing with and the the issues on on their mind when they're on set and I'd, I'd recommend anyone who out there who kind of has a, a thought in mind, has a screenplay knocking around or any, any dreams to, to make a film, to just go out there and do it. Like I was listening to Judd Apatow recently and he was saying, uh, someone asked him, like, how do you be a director? And he said, you just go out and direct. <laughs> and I think it's good advice. And, I, you know, you, you go out there and you make it and maybe it doesn't work out, but the experience itself is um, just incredibly involving. You know, there was one point where... Uh, I really needed a glass of water, like badly. I was dying of thirst, and it would have taken me like five seconds to get one. The tap was like ten feet away, but I had to dispatch a runner to get it for me, just because I was that busy. And then, and then the runner. In any other time in life, you ask someone to do that for you, you'd be like, "You diva, like go and get yourself a glass of water." But in that moment, they understood how busy it was and how much I had going on, and just got it, no questions asked. And there was something nice about that and being that kind of present in a moment. Um, and speaking of being present in the moment, it brings me on quite nicely to, to Matthew McConaughey, our first guest today, who's a guy who just seems to have such an enthusiasm both for, for life and the filmmaking process. Um, and it's a, it's a thing I talk to him about, and he just seems he just seems excited about the world, and you get that you get that sense in his performance. He's very corporeal, you know. You're you're aware of his body and his movements. Um, yeah, and I was I was looking forward to. Talking to him, I was a bit nervous for the first time in a while. I feel like I do a lot of interviews and I kind of hadn't felt that way in maybe a couple of years, but I guess this guy was kind of an idol to me. So I was, there was a little bit of apprehension there. But as you would expect, he's, he was charming, really laid back and relaxed, and yeah, and keen, keen to talk and keen to really get to the kind of the big, to big issues in, in life and in film. We spoke about the film Gold mostly, which he's got coming out soon. It's kind of a, if you check out the trailer, it's kind of a Wolf of Wall Street kind of vibe going on. There's a struggling Wall Street guy. He's wearing like, he's got like, Matthew McConaughey's character has like a massive belly. He's balding. He's down on his luck. He's wearing like a cheap $2 suit. And he kind of strikes upon gold in a remote part of the world. And suddenly he has the, the power in Wall Street. And it's about how he negotiates that. And, and not even his pursuit for money, but his just, his pursuit for... 
I don't know, he's got a thing to prove and for notoriety and he just, he loves gold. He just loves gold. Anyway, I hope you, uh, hope you enjoy our chat and um, I hope to see you for the next episode of this podcast in a couple of weeks. Um, please do subscribe to the podcast. You can access it through iTunes or any podcast apps and we're also on Twitter and Instagram, just at Kernels. So yeah, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So um, I was kind of thinking on the way over here that uh, out of pretty much any actor I can think of, when I'm, when I'm watching you act, you just look like you're having the best time. You're just like, you look like you're enjoying the shit out of doing that scene. Um, well, that's good to hear because most of the time, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Um, you know, if I uh, find a role that has as much for me to grab onto as like Kenny Wells and Gold, mm. it, it made, I was excited for Monday morning to go back to work. I was nervous about every scene because I was like, oh, look at what this, what this is and what it can be. Look how many variations we can give on the, on the day. Um, and so that, that is a joy. At whatever capacity, that that's a joy for me to do. Yeah, and do you find the acting process like quite cathartic? I know the little bits of acting I've done, I've always felt it's a bit like going to the gym for your mind, and afterwards you feel kind of drained, but in a quite a, a pleasing way. In a pleasing way, yeah. There's you know there's that good exhaustion where mm. you go, oh, I think I really told the truth as well as I could today all day long. I felt loose. I was curious. I was out of. I wasn't in my head. You know. Um, and then you put together a good day and you hopefully put five or six together and you got a good week. And you come back and you try to knock it down one scene at a time and put together another week. And hopefully they're gonna tap you on the shoulder a couple of months down the road and go, you're done. And that's when I really get, that's when I go have the, 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 the 19 hour nap. Yeah, know, yeah. At the very end. And you've yeah. left everything else. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so once you've, once you've signed up for a project, once you've, you know, you've read through the script, how do you go about building a character? Like, yeah. does it start with the, the voice? Is it the, where does it come from? No, no, it starts with one, what's the page give me? And a character that's part biographical like this, then it is, well, where can I go do research on the real man? Um, then it is, hey, director, producers, are we trying to tell a true to life biography here? Or how much are we saying based on? Or how much are we trying to really emulate the man in the mm. times? After I make those decisions and use whatever research facts I can get, I then go to the imagination. And this took me to a lot of the Kenny Wells's of the world that I was privy to growing up with my father. My father was a salesman and had a lot of Kenny Wells in him. He did deals with a lot of people who were very much like Kenny Wells, guys that were hustling day to day, guys that didn't have a ticket to the American dream, guys who were going to be entrepreneurs. The only way they were going to make it was to create their own way. And most of them didn't make it. This is a story about a guy who did make it. Yeah. And so it's obviously it's based on a true story, but Kenny Wells didn't exist, right? His name was David Walsh. David Walsh. And was it was it very much based on him though, the character? Did you spend a lot of time with him or was it it was interpreted quite well? Well, he's since passed away. He died of a oh, heart okay. attack about twenty minutes after getting hit in the head by a large blunt object. Right. Which may have to do with some of the people that yeah. you'll meet in this film. Um I did, from the research I got, I pulled what facts I could use. And then there was also folklore that was passed down. And that's when it gets tricky, but also fun, is you have to decipher through the folklore of, well, what's true? What can I use? 
What, and then, then maybe it's, a, it's, it's one thing they say. Maybe it's a poem uh, along the way that uh, uh, can color a character. After that, it was, for me, researching and, and going back and remembering these, these guys that I met, these guys that I saw. Now, how much of my memory of these, these, these Kenny Wellses that I met was exactly factual or not? Well, that's debatable, too, because partially some of these men, I was 12 years old. So I was seeing them through a prism of a 12-year-old eyes, and I'm sure I was romanticizing the, uh, the, the, the event and the men that were larger than life, my father who was larger than life at that time. But that a lot of times I've found that the impression of an instance or the impression of someone can almost be more true or more of a creative outlet than getting in on the 110-millimeter lens and really getting the details. Yeah. It's interesting because I've always wondered whether... Uh, doing something based on a true story in, in some ways could feel creatively limiting because you're not mm. you're not breaking out that character into however you see fit. It's got to be faithful to how a certain person was, but it's a There's, very different process. I've, ha I've, had, I've had that experience um, where it was a biography and I tried, felt such responsibility to emulate exactly who that character was that maybe I didn't feel the wings. I didn't feel like I ever set flight. I may have done a very responsible Performance. I may have connected all the dots and have been, you know, historically accurate. But did I? Did the spirit of the man take flight? Hmm. Well, that would be de debatable after you saw the performance. But in this, um, I understood who this guy was after the very first read of mm. the script, um, more so than any other character I've ever played. Yeah. You mentioned uh, wings. Reminded me of the line in the movie about the the bird with no feet yeah. sleeps on the wind. Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Um, bird with no feet sleeps on the wind. That's that was the poem that I held in my proverbial pocket throughout throughout the entire performance. Mm. You know, a guy like Kenny Wells, if he ever does land, if he did get the gold or did get the money, if he pulled it all off and it was over, he's sort of dead. You know, um, that's why the ending is ambiguous as it is. Yeah. Um, Kenny's not a, a guy who's going to get the gold, get the money, and retire and go play golf. He's not gonna. He's not that guy. He's gonna yeah. find some other thing to pull off, whether it's a real deal or a scam or something. Um, and that's the difference of gold and money. And Kenny talks about it. There's a difference between gold and money. Kenny was never interested in the money. The gold is the chasing down of the dream, his dream. The gold is pulling it off. Mm. The gold is sticking it to the man along the way. The gold is is making it happen when the rest of the world says no way, it's impossible, it can't happen. Yeah. That's the gold. Yeah, it's the, it's the chase for him, and by yeah. that virtue, it's never going to end. He's not going to feel satisfied and want to no. settle down. And I was thinking, because um, obviously for this role, you had uh, you had the gut, you had the, the hair, or we like receding right way back. Um, I was watching that video, have you seen, of Dustin Hoffman talking about Tootsie? And he was saying that when he um, when they made him up to look like a woman, that um, it made him cry, because he, he imagined that he would be a beautiful woman, and he was so shocked to see that he wasn't. He couldn't <laughs> handle it. Um, it and it was, I was thinking, when you, when you got done up and you looked at yourself in your mirror, did you think, damn, that's what, if I let myself go, or like, the, you know, when I age, that's what I'm going to... I guess when you're an actor, you have to let go of shame and self-consciousness oh. and all these things, but was it still hard well, to see Well, people have like said that? to me, like, oh, my gosh, you had to drop all vanity to do this. Hey, look, I'm going to flip the script and, and redefine how, I dan how I'm very vain. I'm vain enough to, if I wouldn't have gone all the way and become Kenny Wells... I'd be sitting here embarrassed right now. So I'm vain enough to say I didn't want to be embarrassed. That was what the character, you know, became. That's who he was. So, uh, no, I never had the word damn before any of that. I looked in the mirror and I was like, that's Kenny. 
Mm-hmm. And after a big weekend and, you know, putting on some more pounds or getting a little more rugged, waking up Monday morning, it wasn't waking up Monday morning with regret. It was like, ah, you're doing your work. Yeah. And that's the pleasure in what I get to do. You know, if I, get, if, I, if I find a character, not every character offers up the chance to commit this much in mind, body, and spirit. This one did. And, man, that's wonderful as an actor when you get that much to dive into. Yeah. And um, I know, so over your, over your career, you had um, this period where you were maybe making films that you didn't want to be making as much as, as now this really rich vein of, of incredible stuff. Do you think that's kind of affected you as an actor and made you a better actor, having had it not all there on a plate from kind of day one? Uh, I don't know, because I was, you know, even back in, when I was doing only romantic comedies, I was enjoying those. Mm. They're just a different type of movie. They're what I like to call Saturday characters. You know, they're built on being buoyant and light. Whereas a drama is just the opposite. The, 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 the ceiling in the basement, the threshold is much wider in a drama because at every choice in a drama, you're hanging your hat on humanity. You're hanging your hat on what's the truest thing for this character. Um, you can't be that honest in a romantic comedy. Yeah. If you get that mad or that happy or laugh that loud in a romantic comedy, you can throw it off. You know, I've always had this great line, if you, if, if, you, if you drop anchor in a romantic comedy, you sink the ship. Well, in the drama, they're built for dropping anchor. They're built, I was able to show as much joy as I feel, you know, through Kenny Wells, as much pain as I feel through Kenny Wells, and that's how drama's built. Mm. So it's just a search for truth then, really, and with these kind of roles, you feel like you're getting closer to it. That's the great thing about a drama. Mm. And I think some of them, they allow for just as much or more humor I think this film's quite funny. Yeah, you know, in a lot of ways, um, it's he's a, it's a wild ride um, by a real guy. Yeah, it's a very physical role, isn't it? He's moving around a lot. There's a lot of your body kind of involved in. He's him. a consumer. Yeah, Kenny Wells is a consumer. He's very physical, but he's consuming life. He's consuming joy. He's consuming drink. He's consuming smoke, food. He's consuming everything. Everywhere he goes, he feels he, like he's hosting. Mm. And when you're when you're on set. Um, when you when you start you start falling in the first setup for the day, uh, do you find that it takes it takes a little while to ease into a role, or are you there from take one? It's kind of it's already present, kind of. Well, it's different, you know. I mean, you, you hope, I hope to feel like I'm seeing the guy from the inside out from the first day. And what I like to say to myself is, when I walk on set, press record, let's go, you know, let's not warm up. You know, warm up time was for pre production. But that doesn't always happen. I mean, sometimes I don't find my guy or feel like I know him from the inside out until after the first day or the first week or two weeks in. I've had roles where I've gone and didn't feel like I found my guy until the shooting was over. Mm. With this one, I knew this, felt like I knew the guy from the inside out after the very first read. And that was, that's so much fun when it happens that early. Because then, then I'm walking around for the months leading up and I'm seeing the world as much as I can through his eyes. And I'm getting informed yeah. by my daily going, my daily happenings of who Kenny Wells is because I'm seeing it through his eyes. Yeah. So that's when it's really fun. Yeah, it must be exciting when you have that immediate connection to the character and you just wanna go out there and... Yeah, yeah and you know it because uh, it's not a, when you, when you, when it, when you understand him or a character that soon, it's not an intellectual exercise. You understand it here first. A lot of times you have to get intellectual to understand and then work that down into your instinct. But this one I instinctually 
said, I know who the man is. Yeah. Early. Yeah. And then um, you obviously, you've worked in, in film and TV now. There's so much made about, about things moving from film to TV, and I don't actually think movies are going anywhere. But um, yeah. do you, d does it matter? Is it, is it not just all good content at the end of the day, and we shouldn't obsess so much about whether it's, it's movies or whether it's a, a series or a limited series? Well, I think, you know, 15 years ago, there was much more of a taboo going from film, the yeah. big screen, to the small screen. That, like, that was a demotion, you know? But when True Detective came along, I gave that about five seconds of consideration. And mm. because I was like, what are, you, what are you chasing, McConaughey? You're chasing character and story. Well, boy, this has great character and great story. I don't care what screen it's on. If you chase good character and good story, hopefully you can keep a job and keep working in, this, in, the, in the movie business and, and look back at everything and go, yep, however well it did or didn't do, that was a great experience, that was a great character, that was a great story. Yeah. Cool. And just finally, I have to ask you, um, going back to The Wolf of Wall Street um, and your fantastic, fantastic dinner scene in that with uh, DiCaprio, and I read that he said that the whole mm, 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 was something that you do. To, something to, to prepare I, yourself, and do you do you still do it? Now? Oh, I still do it, but it's a different tune for that I'm humming or beating on my chest for each character. It's a relaxation tool. Where do the where do the tunes come from for each character? The, they come just from the soundtrack of my mind on, <laughs> on, on, on on what it is, what the tone, what the rhythm. It's a way. When I say relaxation technique, it's a way to get out of my head. You know what I mean? Um, uh, so I was doing that before each take. To relax, and then we'd yell action, and I would start the scene, and I'd stop doing that. Well, we were done that day, and we'd done five takes. Martin Scorsese was happy, I was happy, Leonardo was happy, and we were moving on. And it was Leonardo's idea. He goes, "Hang on a second. and he asked me, he said, "What are you, what are you doing before the take?" And I explained what I explained to you, and he goes, "You want to try that in the scene?" I said, "Sure." <laughs> so the next take, I did it at the beginning of the scene, then we went into the scene, and we got to the end, and I remember like thinking, well, now do it again to see if the young Turk who you just taught sort of what Wall Street is, but see if he's on the same frequency, see if he gets it. And then so we ended up bookending the scene with it, and uh, that was the one take we used. Yeah, just a way to not overthink, I guess, in the moment when you've got so many distractions around you. Yeah, and plus you're stepping in, you know, the nerves are high. I'm stepping into, they are already working together for months. I'm stepping in, I've got two days' work. Um, you know, you can come in with nerves, so it's a way to get rid of the nerves. Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much, Matthew, for your time. Yeah, you got it, man.